and you all know what that means. It is uh, Christmas music season again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was gonna, I was gonna start out talking about that. I, I just because I know my my wife enjoys Christmas music so much that at the day after Halloween, it's time to start playing it. And and and, but we're not gonna do that today, unfortunately. Uh, we're gonna have to focus on the other holiday. Uh, Thanksgiving. Um, you know, we go from one season to another. Pastor Appreciation Month ended yesterday, and so the next major Christian season uh, <laughs> is, of course, Christmas, and Thanksgiving is in there in the middle. Um, actually, the thing with Thanksgiving that I want to talk about, uh, Michael, who isn't here with us today, he's moved on to Great Falls, and but he has this, uh, this, this great uh, line he would quote all the time. I think it's actually from Jim Gaffigan. For the planning of, of the Thanksgiving holiday, you know, what are we going to do for Thanksgiving? We're going to eat a whole lot, right? And, well, we do that every day. We're going to do it with people we can't stand. You know, Thanksgiving. Um, the reality is that, that uh, with Thanksgiving coming up, Norman Rockwell missed it by a mile, right? Uh, a lot of times we, we look at Thanksgiving as this time that we're going to be around folks that, that maybe stress us out. Um, you know, and, and it's almost this, this ongoing felt need in our culture, like, like we have everything, right? We've got money, we've got comfort, we, we rarely worry about where our next meal is going to come from. I mean, it's true, right? Like, like it's, it's unusual for people to starve to death in our culture, like in a, where we're at. I mean, it's just not, you know, we, we deal with hardship that is very limited compared to what the entire world and the history of mankind has dealt with. Um, things are easy. Um, but the thing that we are most hungry for, and you can, you can I'm going to give you, like my supposition here, I'm going to give you some evidence. The thing we as a people, we as a culture, we as a society are most hungry for is like closeness, Right? We want to be close to our families. We want to have close relationships. We want to have intimacy and connection. And how do I know this is true? Well, turn on the TV and watch commercials. When you see a family buying cell phones, what are they all doing? They're together. And they're smiling together, right? Because getting new cell phones helps you communicate and draws you closer. With no acknowledgement of the fact that in reality you're going to stare at that cell phone approximately 23 and a half hours during the day, right? And you're not going to talk to each other. You know, you go to the park and you can see moms and dads, more moms. Um, the kids are saying, mom, watch this. And what is mom watching? Yeah, that actually makes me crazy. Every time I go anywhere where there are little kids, I don't know. And they come up to me and they say, hey, watch me do this. And I really want to say, not your dad. I only have to watch my own kids do weird stuff. Um, and I really enjoy every second of it. <laughs> Mind you, Abby and Titus. Um, but, but in reality, like, like we're hungry for this connection. Like in all of our advertising is centered around, look, if you buy our cereal, you'll have breakfast together. Bad news, if you're not eating breakfast together now, check cereal is not going to do it for you. Right? You know, buying a new car will not make you a closer family. It will not. If you don't go on exciting weekends away to the mountains with your wife now, owning a Highland or some other minivan of the sort 
It's not going to help you go away to the mountains for vacations together, romantic getaways. It won't happen. Like, we want that closeness, but it doesn't exist in our culture. It doesn't because we're busy playing with our phones and watching TV and working. And as, I mean, weirdly enough, we don't tell each other about what's going on with us, right? We don't tell each other, oh, I'm struggling. And if we do, people think it's weird. When you're on Facebook scrolling, right, which is there to help you be closer to people by not being in the same room with them, um, but you're scrolling and you see that one person who unloads all of their business on Facebook, what do you think? Ugh. Can you believe they did that? Let me get the popcorn. (laughs) Thanks for laughing at that. Um, We're going to be looking at the next little chunk of Acts, and it's a tiny little verse, um, but it is this crazy reality that one of the things that the coming of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the birth of the church, because this is literally, like, this is the birth of the church we're going to read about, right? This is, um, you know, in the previous verse I mentioned, previous little section I mentioned, that death could not hold him, right? And that the phrasing there was, it'd be like a woman trying to hold it in while she's giving birth, right? It would be like a woman trying to, like, like clench real hard and I'm not going to let the baby out. Like, like death could not hold him because... He was propelled outward in an irresistible, like, like movement. Um, <laughs> in regards to the church, this is the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit's arrival, like, it, it is the moment that the church came into being proper. And, and so as we look at this, um, you know, Peter did this sermon, and there's all of these conversions And then this text happens. And the crazy thing about this text, the crazy thing about this moment in the church is that people have misused it to death. Got it? And we're going to look at what it says and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to recognize that what the church is supposed to be is that cell phone commercial except without the cell phone. And like true. You get what I'm saying? Like, we are supposed to be community, we're supposed to be drawn together, and we're supposed to be drawn together by the crazy truth that Christ died for us when we were at our worst, and that the Holy Spirit has made us brand new, and that in the process of making us brand new has glued us together as family, even if we're like from different places. Even if we have different backgrounds or skin color or different like political yard signs on our lawn or, you know, masks or no masks, like, like it doesn't matter. We are in Christ. Like we're the ideal. We're Thanksgiving except without the annoying people, which means I'm not invited, I assume. Um, and so we're going to dive into our text here and I'm recognizing my first error in my slides. This should be... 4041, um, so this is the book of Acts, with many other words, so this is, we, we just finished here last week, but I, I want to kind of put it out there, Peter's preached this like barn burner of a sermon, and he says, with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation, so Peter preaches his sermon, he says, listen, come to know Christ, please, 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 come to know him, please turn from your ways, please, be made new in the Spirit. Like, like come to know Christ. Like, be saved. Please do this. Um, 
those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So there are 3,000 new converts. And these 3,000 new converts, I'm going to change the slide because I'm annoyed with myself for screwing that up. Um, (laughs) These 3,000 new converts are from all over the world. They're not just from Jerusalem where this is taking place. They are from all over the empire, and they've gathered together for like this harvest festival like Thanksgiving, probably without Christmas music. They weren't even doing it right. Um, So they're there. They're converted. They are from everywhere. They've got different backgrounds, different nationalities, different everything. They're all Jewish, so there's that. Um, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, I am impossibly, like, I can't think of a way to talk about this without talking about my own experience of coming into the church. The first church I ever went to was uh, St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Montgomery, Alabama. Don't worry, I'm not a Lutheran in disguise, tricking you. Um, However, um, I, I did, like I was invited to this church picnic, and I've talked about this a lot, and it was just amazing to me how different the people were there. They were really nice and loving and caring, and they they, they were just awesome. And I was like, man, I don't know what these people got, but I want it. I want to be a part of it. This is it. And so I went from playing volleyball at a church picnic in Alabama to showing up to worship every week. And I, I knew that this was a part of it. And so I, like the, all the creeds, I can rattle them off. Still, it's been like, well, I'm, I, I, let's see, I was like 15. So it's been like 10 years. Um, and I can still <laughs> recite them. Um, I can still do some of the liturgies from memory. Um, and, and that was the beginning. And I began reading the Bible. And you know what? I didn't understand a word it had to say. But you know what I did? I kept reading it. You know why? Because I didn't know what it was, but I was going to figure it out. I was going to understand how this thing worked, period. Like, I was devoted to this teaching because I wanted it. And I remember I went to catechism then, right? We, catechism is a big fancy word. It means like the class where you learn what it means to be a Christian, right? And you got to do it in order to do your confirmation, which we don't do that because we're not Lutherans or Catholics or anything else. Um, not that Lutherans and Catholics are the same thing. Please don't stone me. Um, but like I did this confirmation class and I read, I have read Luther's small catechism through probably 80 times. Like cover to cover. Every week I would sit down and I would read and I would study and I would get out my Bible and I would read that and I would compare them and I learned everything there was to know in that book. And I still, it is one of the best learning experiences I had because I was devoted to this because I didn't know what it was, but I want it. You know what I mean? It's a little like, so some of y'all can't relate to this. All right. So like if this is not a good relational thing, like, but I met my wife and at first, I did not want to have anything to do with her. And she pursued me. Because who wouldn't? It was a joke. It was a joke. She did pursue <laughs> Thank you, Larry. She did pursue me. Like, I was not interested. But once I started talking to her, I didn't... I, I wanted to know more. You know what I mean? I wanted to know more. And when I actually, like, like we started dating, I didn't... I just wanted to know more. I wanted to know everything about her and I was excited to know everything about her and and to be around her more and I 
spent hours and hours talking to her on the phone or on the internet because we lived like on the opposite sides of the country. And, and I would stay up half the night talking to her and, and everything else. Like this was this huge thing because I wanted more of it. This is what's going on. These believers have come to know Christ and they're like, this is it. I want this, right? I want this. This matters. This is everything. I want it. And so they consumed it. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They went. They listened. They walked away. They discussed it. They studied it. They, they went into the scriptures probably and studied those. Like, and they wanted to know more and to the fellowship, meaning it wasn't just hearing people talk. They wanted to be around each other. Now, I want to point out, this is just like a miracle, right? Because like, if you've been in church long enough, you know that pretty quick there's a reason you don't want to be around that guy or this other guy. Or some of y'all are watching the clock right now and you're like, man, he went long with that intro. It's five to the hour. What's going to happen? <laughs> Am I going to have to be around these people a little longer than I have to? I'm not saying y'all are that way, but some people are, right? Some people at other churches, probably Lutheran ones. It was a joke. Please don't quote me on that. It was a Lutheran thing from earlier. I'm not attacking these Lutherans. They're all awesome. I love them. Um, <laughs> I'm in trouble, aren't I? <laughs> I'm going on vacation. I'm sorry. This is... All right. What? Eject. Eject. You're hitting the button looking for the little platform to throw me. Um, I really am sorry. That was awful. I love Lutherans. It was just a joke. Um, and fellowship, so they're around each other. They're devoted to the teaching. They're devoted to being around each other, and to the breaking bread and to, to the breaking of bread and to the and to prayer. So, like they're praying together. By the way, this is a recurring theme in the Book of Acts because the early church prayed together a lot. And I'm not talking that like I mean, this morning it was like 18 minutes, so the sermon hasn't been that long. It was actually the prayer time. Um, but they prayed together. They would get together and sometimes pray all night over something that was scaring them. When was the last time, like, we as a church sat down and prayed all night about COVID? You know, or about someone who was sick, or about somebody who was lost, or about somebody who was spiritually, like, struggling. We don't, like, it's just not a component of the modern church. Prayer, and I'm not saying this to guilt y'all. It's the truth. Like, this is what the early church did. They prayed. And they broke bread together. Now, watch this. There are people in the world who are heroes because they can comfortably invite other people into their houses, right? There are a few people I know who are like that. Um, I, I aspire to be like that in a future life. Actually, I'm thinking I might need to buy a second house that will be like a model house that we invite people into. Um, <laughs> I saw an amen back there. I, I felt good about that. That was my first amen in a while. Um, <laughs> But, but there are people who are comfortable. Like, I want you in my house, and I want to be around you, right? I want to fellowship with you. I want to spend time with you. That's what these people did. They brought each other. They came into each other's houses, and they ate meals together. They ate together. They spent time together. In the ancient world, by the way, the process of eating a meal with another person was the equivalent of saying, I endorse this person, right? And so that's why Paul says, hey, if somebody walks away from the church and falls away from the faith, and they're like teaching heresy or something like that, don't even eat with them. You know why? Because in the process of eating with them, you're saying, that guy is on track. 
I endorse him. That's why the Pharisees were so ticked off at Jesus for going to Matthew's house. He's a tax collector. He's a wicked man. He's a race betrayer. He's everything. Why are you eating at his house, right? Because that was an endorsement. Um, But what these guys are doing is they're living a life that is fully integrated. They didn't get done with worship and go home. They got done with worship, and because they were in somebody's living room at the time, they ate together. Right? Like, and everybody brought something. It was, you know, I'm guessing, it was potluck every Sunday. And for those of us who have enjoyed potlucks all our lives, or for our lives in church, it was not just like potluck where we brought a bag of chips. It was good potluck. Right? Like, they were fellowshipping. They were a part of each other's lives because it was important. Come on, Eric, get unstuck from this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now, the Holy Spirit is there. He has filled these people. They are brand new. They've integrated their lives together, and they are watching the apostles perform miracles. And they're like, man, this is awesome. And I'm going to, like, show my hand here and say they cheated a little bit because the apostles are performing miracles, and that made it a whole lot easier. Right? Like, if I was actually performing miracles here every Sunday, not like convincing Jeremy to sit in a wheelchair so I could heal him or some other nonsense, but like if I was performing miracles, like people would, I mean, the hour, you know, hour 15, technically our worship service is supposed to end at a quarter after. I'm usually short. Um, But that hour, man, nobody would think twice about it. Like, holy what? Eric just brought that guy back from death. He just did that. I mean, people wouldn't think twice about that, right? We have the scriptures. Like, we have the recorded instances of these miracles and events taking place. And so we have to read it, believe it, and be excited by it. Which is a lot harder, isn't it? It's a lot harder. Especially when you know that somebody's getting your spot in line at the mint, and you're going to have to eat lunch a little later, right? Um, The reality is that they're watching these miracles, and they're inspired by it. We have a different place. We have to read them, and we have to be inspired by it. Sometimes we get to hear about miracles. Like, I love talking about Yancey in prayer time because Yancey is, like, the best miracle I've seen in my 20-some-odd years of doing church work. And I've seen a couple doozies. Like, I'm not, you know, I've seen some awesome stuff, but Yancey is, like, it. Right? Um, And it's easy to get excited about that. But week after week, we're to gather and we're to look at the great works of, of Christ who died for our sins and was risen from the grave. And we're to look at the great works he's performed in the past and we're to say, this brings us new life. This is exciting and we are in awe of it. But it's hard when you've heard it a hundred times, isn't it? why it's important to hear it a lot like christmas music you start early you do it a lot you fill yourself up with it because you got to get like you got to get excited about it all the believers were together and they had everything in common now i'm going to hit pause here real quick i mentioned earlier that this is a misused text right there are people who take this passage and they use it in a way that's just not right. I don't know how to put it any other way. Like I got no clever explanation. When when a couple is first engaged and then gets married, right? The hardest part of doing marriage counseling is convincing them that 
it is not always going to be the wonderful love fest that it is today, right? For most people, once you've been married longer than, I don't know, five years, let's call it five years, there are going to be days where you don't like each other. Is that fair? Like, it is a reality. However, during those sweet five minutes that you are absolutely Twitter-pated and head over heels in love, and you're looking at each other through rose-colored glasses, and he walks on water, and, like, that big gut is probably actually all muscle, and she is the best cook ever, and will continue to do that, and you're all excited and everything else, that's what's happening here, right? It is easier as a couple to have all things in common when you are Twitter-pated. Right? There are people who will take this text and say, this is a mandate. This is a do it or else. And this is why the government should take everything you have and give it to other people because we should all happily give our stuff away. This is not about a series of like governmental or policy or anything like that. Like this is not about that. This is a beautiful picture of what the church is supposed to look like. We're supposed to be together and treat each other in common. We're supposed to be together and love each other enough that it's not like, hey, you get away, this is mine, right? I I worked in a church where, um, oh, I worked in a church where the coffee was done by a group of of women who were old as time, and it was their thing, and it was their thing but they did it really badly. They bought the cheapest coffee they could in bulk so that it got really stale before they served it. It was a preparation process. And then the coffee cups were thimbles, right? And you were only allowed to drink that coffee within three feet of the coffee machine, which was one of those eight-gallon pots. And they did it badly, right? And it was theirs. And the youth ministry came along, and I said, hey, guys, what if we serve better coffee? And through a series of efforts, I managed to take that over, and coffee was really good all of a sudden. And it was a big deal. And there were a number of these, these women who were very upset with me because I took it. That was mine, and you took it, right? Like, that's not the way it is in this setting. It is, guys... We have this stuff in common. We are community. We love each other. We are still Twitter-pated with each other, and it's not, hey, honey, you're on my side of the bed. Get over there, right? It is all things in common. They sold their possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Now, again, anybody heard this misuse before? And so you should sell everything you have, and we should all just throw all that money into a common pot. That's not what it's saying. It is saying, oh, wow, um, Larry doesn't own a coat, and winter's coming. I will come up with some money in order to take care of Larry, right? I mean, that's a reasonable thing to do. It would be better for me to help Larry out than for me to say, yeah, I want to help you, Larry, but I need a 65-inch TV because the 60-inch TV just isn't cutting it anymore. 
Um, it's not a forced thing. It is a love thing. It is a thing that is done as an act, as an act of love. Isn't it amazing when, when you see this happen? Like when you first are married and you do things for each other because you like each other? Or when um, you see children do things for each other because they're friends? Like the church is designed this way. We give for each other because we love each other. We wear masks, not because like, or else, but because we care about each other. Or we're patient with people who don't believe in the mask thing because they don't believe in it. And like, we're trying to be loving and supportive to each other. That's a reasonable thing, right? That is what the early church is doing. It's not about mandates. It's not about forced. It's not about do it or you're going to hell. It's about this community they had, this loving connection they had. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so every day they met together, like they'd go to the temple courts and they would meet and they would have their, like, oh, I'm going to learn. Oh, I'm going to fellowship with these guys. They broke bread in homes like, hey, come on over and we'll eat something. Come on over, we'll hang out for a while. Come on over, we'll be a family together. Um, And they did it with glad and sincere hearts. Anybody ever do something the other way? Yeah, I'll have you over, but only because I gotta. That's Thanksgiving, right? Like, (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm sure your families are all wonderful, and my family's wonderful. I I wish they'd come over for Thanksgiving. Um, But they gathered together, and they spent time, and it was this, like, it was amazing. It was everything that the world tells you you should be hungry for right now. It was the cell phone commercial only real. It was Norman Rockwell only real. Actually, could you imagine that in our setting? Where like, what if our church body was so close and loving toward each other that people started showing up because they're like, I don't know what those guys got, but I want it. I don't know what is going on in that place, but I want to be a part of it. I don't know what those people have going on, but they obviously love each other, and that is the hole in my life, and I need it. Because that hole is there. You don't believe me. You can actually walk downtown any evening of the week, hang out, and watch people try and fill it with liquor. You can. You watch people try and fill it with, with well, you probably don't want to watch them try to fill that hole in their lives with pornography, but people do it. You, you can, like, people try so hard to fill that up, and it's free in Christ. And it's what should be driving us as the body. This is what we should look like. I was talking with a friend uh, from this church, actually, about how women get a really bad deal in our culture. Because, like, you walk down the grocery store aisle, and, like, there are all these magazines there with, like, these amazingly genetically perfect women, and they're, like eight pounds because they don't eat and then they've been airbrushed so they're not even real and women are told basically look like this or you're worthless i mean that's true right like like and a lot of women feel very self-conscious about themselves and they feel very inadequate because they don't look like that woman and they don't cook like martha stewart and they don't um you know all of these things and so they say oh i'm the worst wife i'm the worst mother i'm the worst this i'm the worst that um the church is supposed to look like that, only it's real. Right? And I'm not saying y'all are worthless if you don't. I'm saying this is a target to aim for. 
This is what we're supposed to drive after. This is what we're supposed to hunger for. This is what we're supposed to, like, orient our lives towards. Like, in Christ, we are community. In Christ, we are close. Is it ever going to be perfect? Yes, actually. Nope, I almost said no, but it is a yes. You know when it's going to be perfect? In eternity. And until then, we're going to strive. And we're going to do our best. Until then, we're going to open ourselves up to each other. Anybody in this building ever poured out their worst garbage in front of somebody else in this building and been accepted and loved despite the fact that it's your worst garbage? I, I know there are a few people here. Isn't that the best thing in the world? Knowing that somebody knows your garbage and still loves you? Can't happen if you don't put yourself out there. That's what the church is. Christ has made us one. This is a communion Sunday. And so um, I know, and he preached a long time, um, except that the prayer was really long, so it's not my fault. We started late because of the Internet. 